0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Block Talk Radio.
0: The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and
1: opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best.
0: not physician-assisted suicide, it's a physician-suicide where instead of the physician killing thyself, the physician kills thyself. And this is a uh, situation. Now, you know, what's here? here? What's the cause? More humane training from the time? And if Dr. Cooley stays himself. Did you say you, but tonight, I if you think about the prize of this prize. You the writing of a tradition who has 2 it, and still talks about it. This is combined with uh, available seeking advice, with their stories, and their And so first of all, we have to be clear. What uh, you guys is when well, a person dies, you're not going to hear. I'm not even having technical issues tonight. And we're going to do the best we can. If you're not able to hear the show, uh, you'll have to take 30 points. My microphone hit cement earlier today. And it has failed to respond uh, to rehabilitation. So here we are. I tried going without the microphone, and it doesn't seem to work either. So we're going to just do the best we can tonight. And that's basically dying at one hand. Now, I was told in medical school i tell you as a member of the public, we're told the same thing, is that people commit suicide because they are depressed. In other words, they're sad. There actually is not much evidence to support this, that people commit suicide because they're sad. It turns out that of all the deaths that occur every year in the United States, 1.5% occur from suicide. It turns out that if you're depressed and you die, there's a 2% chance that you commit suicide. So this is uh, not very convincing. In other words, of the depressed people who commit suicide, fewer than, or at most, 25% of those suicides can be attributed to the depression. In other words, the depression is not... A determining factor here. There's 75 percent that's well, let's say something else. So let's take a look at what that something else might be. Okay. First of all, let's take a look at medical studies. These medical studies all the time figure yeah. out, you figure out here. Take a look at these events of suicide and mm-hmm. look back in the person's history. Either the day, the week, the month, the year before they died. So, well, what, what, what could have caused this suicide? What what contributed to this suicide? Well, it turns out that the biggest cause is drugs. Believe it or not, drugs, drug use. In medical school, we're taught, like I said, depression for suicide. A recent study by the Mayo Clinic, this is the Mayo Clinic, it's the doctor, guys. Indicates that the risk of a depressed person committing suicide, dying, of suicide is around two percent. And so the question is, where, what, what are the, what, what's going on? What, what could it possibly be? What they found was that suicide was triggered by events in a person's life so it's more the event in a person's life than um, depression or a lack of depression. Another thing, just as an aside, is the trend in suicide, general population, has been upward. So since 1999, suicide has increased. So in 1999, 0.75% of all deaths were from suicide. And... A mere 11 years later, 2010, 1.5% of all deaths are from suicide. It's a doubling. So in 11 years, the percent of deaths resulting from suicide doubled. I mean, this is like uh, you know, doubling your money at uh, 7%. Well, this is not good. Obviously, if things keep doubling like this, it really won't be long. And then, 1981 to the year 2000, suicide tripled in the 15 to 24 year old age
1: group. So this is this
0: is pretty uh, pretty troubling. But something else happened. Of course, increased marketing of ADHD drugs and antidepressants. Uh, Took place as well. But guns, hanging, and overdose collectively account for more than 55% of all suicides. So these are the basic uh, risk factors. The other thing I found is that people who commit suicide, like 67% of all successful suicides happen on the first attempt. So using past attempts as a predictor is actually not helpful. And in fact, if a person has attempted suicide in the past, it's a negative predictor. The point is this. Dr. Suicide is double that of the population. And the suicide in the population is doubling every 11 years. <laughs> this is incredible. This is incredible. So 4% of doctors are murdering themselves. And so if we you know, extrapolate this, I'm sorry, 3% of doctors are murdering themselves. So if we extrapolate this and we double this every 11 years, uh, it won't be long before people might just stop becoming doctors just because of the suicide uh, suicide risk. Now, just to give you a a grip on suicide prediction, um, there was a study done where they did risk factor assessment studies. And they said to these doctors, look, pick any risk factor you think is going to predict if a person will or will not commit suicide. And they had several groups of doctors, and doctors picked what they thought would be Predicted factors, like, you know, prior attempt, a uh, person talking about suicide, you know, whatever the risk factor might be. But what they found was there's a 30% false positive and a 44% false negative in the doctor's prediction based on Dr. Children's predicted factors. This means that suicide is not predictable by presently available clinical tools and methods. Another way to look at this is we can look at suicide as an illness, but one whose cause is not limited to depressed people. This is important. If you look at suicide only in depressed people, you're going to miss 75 percent, at least 75 percent of people who attempt suicide. And If you look at suicide in people who have a past history of suicide attempts, you're going to miss 67 percent of suicide. These are people make an So, with doctors, if I look at, first of all, my assumption is doctors are human. So, once we understand what causes suicide in human beings, we can extrapolate that to see which of these factors might be present in greater abundance among doctors. Okay. So, studies have shown that 95% of suicides, now, there's something to hang your head on 95%, that's a big number. Of suicides are due to relationship problems, money problems, job problems, gambling, and drugs. Now, this study that figured this out did not mention depression. It did not mention depression. It was not a factor. And that's exactly what you would find. It, it shouldn't be a factor. Why? Because we know that only 25% of suicides at most are related to depression. And those, a large number, are related to the, the antidepressant drugs themselves. And this is clear just based on the warnings they put in the package. You know, antidepressant drugs, the warning on the package says, ah, this drug may make you want to commit suicide. So there we have it. So we know that, that relationship problems, money problems, job problems, gambling and drugs, these are Things that lead people to commit suicide. In other words, most people are having a life crisis and they have a suicidal response to a life crisis. Well, in other words, they're having a problem. They've thought out their options and they've decided that of the available options, suicide is the most reasonable option. That's basically the process whereby a person comes to commit suicide. So let's uh, hop on over to the uh, Medscape website where they tell us about all things uh, doctorate. This is Medscape Family Medicine and the title is Physician Suicide 101 Secrets WISE, and solutions. And they talk about these uh, doctors who successfully committed suicide. And of course, this is written by a doctor, Pamela Weibel, who unsuccessfully attempted suicide uh, during her training. And so the question then is. What are the problems that doctors might have in abundance? And how might their perception of those problems lead them to suicide? That's my mental process. That's not Pamela's mental process. Uh, So what Pamela thinks is that these doctors need more, more sharing. So what happened to Pamela was um, she was uh, actually this is her story in her work Pamela, that would be yeah. her happy two year old girl put up to adults, negotiated away at that time, persuade her dad to get slippies and candy bars for dinner in other words, this, is a, this is a pattern of success this kid, Basically, was able to get her way, and she thought was important. Life was good until her first year of medical school. Just a few months into medical school, she developed major depression due to what she calls barbaric and inhumane medical training. In other words, you, you take a person who's had a string of life successes, let's say. You know, as a child, they succeeded, they've gotten good grades their success, and they've achieved this. Thing admission to medical school which is a big marker of success now i just want to say by the way nobody gets to medical school by themselves parents pitch in and make sacrifices and help out even if they're not wealthy there's all kinds of form that help uh, all kinds of form that help and assistance can take and so the parents are encouraging they're cheering the kid on oh you, you can do this and the other thing about getting into medical school is it requires you to bit by bit by bit let go of many parts of your life. Let go of um, hobbies. you Let go of sports. Let go of maybe even musical instrument you play. So all these things, you end up tearing your life down, tearing your life down, tearing it down. till so it may be just college only. That's the only thing that, that, that you do. You also cut off your... Um, Relationships or communication with friends because they take time. You need time to study. And so, your average uh, freshman in medical school is fairly isolated um, by choice because that's what he has to do to, to accomplish getting into medical school. Now, of course, while isolating himself like this, he has to develop a resume that indicates just the opposite, but of course, everybody knows better. And so, you have then a person. Who has surrounded themselves by people who are as obsessed with them becoming doctors as they are. And then they enter medical school and they receive what, by this doctor's own admission, is barbaric and inhumane medical training. And uh, so she she got through that. So years later, set up with Assembly Line Medicine, she became suicidal. And what the only difference between her and other uh, people who attempted is that she survived and is now speaking for the others who cannot. And it's nice to her to speak for them, but quite frankly, you have to question can she really speaks for them, Because after all, they succeeded and she didn't. So there might have been a, a different level of intention there. But we will dismiss that. The point here is you take a person who's honed their life down, who's got their value system aligned, with I'm either a doctor or I'm nothing. And then they go into medical school and the first thing they're confronted with on uh, the first year of training is treatment Being told that they don't matter. Being told that they're not important. Even being told that they're stupid. Which, of course, for someone who's worked so hard to study is probably a huge insult. And because they've narrowed their personal evaluation down to such a narrow, fine point, when that point fails, there's not another uh, mock of evaluation. The person a very linear view of their value as being. And I us to take a look at a couple of uh, case, case studies. This is uh, Caitlin. And Caitlin never gave her any problems. Very obedient person. And uh, she never needs any, any help with her homework and an ultra, ultra obedient person. Um, in high school, she's a deep thinker, an artist, a poet, and um, she's observed by others to be one of the happiest people on this earth. So, again, she's a total, complete conformist, very happy with it. And really thrived on this incredible positive feedback from being good at areas where other people set the rules. Now, even though she appeared to be the happiest person in the world, she's an introvert with social anxiety, few close friends, but none in medical school. Everybody's busy studying, and people just went their way. She told her mom, and she was desperately lonely. Her perfectionism worsened. In other words, she focused even more and more and narrow and narrow sectors. She wanted a strict diet, started running marathons, lost weight. Again, perfectionism, control, narrowly focused. Excellent grades in medical school. Unfortunately, she got excellent grades in her part one of her medical boards. And um, she didn't get to see her outstanding results because she did a helium overdose and killed herself. And she left a two-page suicide note in which she claimed lifelong depression but hid it to protect her family and herself. That's, that's, what, her, that's what her claim. And, uh, of course, the author believes that Caitlin suffered more from being different and isolated due to her high intellect. Okay. This is interesting. Because in medical school, um, your thought processes are literally monitored. I mean, if you express an opinion that's not straight down the middle of the road that's paid for you, you get negative feedback. And so it's extreme pressure to be just like the other medical students, to have exactly the same values as they have. And one big thing in medical school is, is, is these students are indoctrinated to control the decisions our patients make. And one way that we are told to control the decisions is that we have the rule book. We know how they should decide. And I said, really? How do we figure out all that? Out? And they said, well, we use a Judeo-Christian ethic. I said, what the heck is that? Of course, my parents never take them to the church. So I have no clue. I said, Judeo-Christian ethic? Did you write that out for me? I mean, what does that mean? Of course, they couldn't lay it out for me. They said, "Well, you know, you'll catch on, or you'll you'll notice." And so, the extreme conformity in medical school uh, wipes out all, you know, trace of of uniqueness. And so, this is the problem. Now, this is Caitlin's uh, suicide note, which I think is very instructional. Uh, this choice makes sense to me. I know I had such a seemingly bright future. I know I would have been a, such a successful doctor and wife and mother. But all I have ever desperately wished for is not feeling like existing would be preferable to be, not existing would be preferable to being who I am and living the life I live. This is the crux of doctor suicide is not existing would be possible to be who they are and and living the life that they live. And I, I think that needs to be looked at. Now this author believes that if only the instruction process in medical school was more humane, then people would not commit suicide. Medical students would not commit suicide. And I suggest it's absolutely false. Absolutely false. Because doctors are being trained to murder in large numbers and in large, you know, frequently and often. And so there's a big feeling as medical students get from year one to year two to year three to year four that Living the life that doctors are sentenced to living, we'll talk about that in a minute, and being who they are is something that is not desirable. It so would then rather be dead. So, so, what is it that happens between entering medical school and leaving medical school? First of all, most doctors enter medical school wanting to help. You don't need to be a genius before you realize you're not being very helpful to anybody. Then, as medical school progresses, most physicians have taken out loans. They take out loans that are compounding continuously at what many people might call usurious
1: interest rates.
0: And so as the medical school time progresses, the student's mind turns to, well, maybe I can't help people, but at least I can pay this debt. And this is something that people feel very repulsed and realize, at least subconsciously, that what they become is a slave. And not everyone can suicide. They do commit suicide at twice the rate of the population. So in other words, in any given year, 97% of doctors uh, are still alive at the end of the year. 43% so per year
1: uh,
0: self-destruction rate. Again, uh, if, you, if you look at that doubling every 10 years, then that, uh, that really adds up. And the, the other thing that happens as doctors or young doctors take a look at this is they see this mountain of debt. And as time goes on, many of them realize they can't repay it. And they realize that what they did, and they took a gamble. They took a gamble. And so what are the costs of 95% of suicide? Money problems, which certainly most medical students have by the time they graduate, and certainly most young doctors have. Job problems, the realization that what they're doing isn't helping anybody, and the realization they don't have autonomy and decision-making authority, which is what they had hoped for, and gambling. I mean, what bigger gamble? than to gamble with 12 years of your life and $300,000 in debt. Most people don't make that big a gamble at any point in their life. And then finally, there's drugs. There's drugs. That uh, medical students more and more are being trained to understand that the solution to everything is drugs. This particular individual, her drug of choice was helium. But this is what tremendously contributes to these suicides. And a humane educational system where yeah, doctors are uh, do politely, where they are uh, given encouragement, is not really going to change this. You have a person narrowly focused. And the only thing they can do to pay off his is practice medicine. That's it. The only thing they can do. And then they look at practicing medicine and it becomes a more and more distasteful thing to do. And so they realize what they've done is they've made a pact with the devil and they're not even getting what they want for it. They've made a a pact in order to come about and to have what it's to be as a high status position that they would obediently murder If they would um, obediently order a test that gave no information, all these things would do obediently. Um, And what happened? They didn't get what they wanted. They didn't get the high school. They didn't get the um, income sufficient to pay off their own debt. When I was practicing medicine, I was aware of doctors who are still paying their personal educational loans and it became time for their children to go to college. That's a big financial change. When I was in medical school, there was one suicide attempt and one successful suicide. That's see high suicide rate when you're looking at um, 300, uh, you know, 300 people. And that was just our you know, little medical school class. One uh, student was the son of of the Director of Medical Affairs for the university. His father, this guy's five foot parents got to put that in your mind, wanted him to become a professional basketball player. I'm ask him, why? Obviously, he failed miserably at that. And then the father, being the dean in charge of medical affairs, said to his son, okay, go to medical school. And his son was deeply concerned about matters of injustice around the globe and... Uh, he went to Central America to help uh, freedom fighters and all kinds of things. father had him kidnapped and brought back to uh, medical school. And he um, also promptly, it did take him about four months, he murdered himself with an injection of uh, potassium cyanide. Now, this is basically, I think, epitomizes the issue. Which is many doctors that are, i say pain, so they are painting into a corner where the only option, the only way out appears to be suicide. Now, other doctors are more creative. They say, well, you know, it's a difficult job, it's amazing I do it. And besides, if I found the standard of care, I have uh, immunity.
1: So, this is, this is the state of affairs.
0: Okay, so so Caitlin killed herself, and Caitlyn's grieving mother, unable to recover from her daughter's death, also died by helium overdose one year later. And so this is how invested these um, doctors are into becoming doctors, fulfilling their vision of what a positive thing it is to be a doctor. And then when they discover that it's not the positive thing they thought it was, they can't back out. Can you imagine if Caitlyn had called home and said, Mom, I'm dropping out of medical school. I was deceived. I was defrauded. I'm out of here. Um, they lied to me. What do you think Caitlyn's mother would have said to Caitlyn. Oh, Caitlyn, you must, you must have missed this one. Why, you must have missed you um, Well, what you're saying can't be true. And how do I know that? Because I called home. I said, I called home. I said, Mom. Ah, they're lying to you. They're, they're, they're lying. You're they're, they're, they're not telling me anything to help people. You're just going to, you're just harming people. And, and I'm not going to learn anything to help daddy's diabetes or my brother's schizophrenia or my mother's chronic pain. I'm not learning anything here that's going to help any of you. And so of course my mother said to me, Well, Jennifer, you must be overwrought. Maybe you're just a...
1: Uh, You're
0: just overworked, and you just need to be a little time off. Get away for a week or two. And this is the problem: is is that the incredible pressure from everyone surrounding the medical student and surrounding the doctor. For the doctor to conform to this uh, activity that is so harmful, so ineffective, and results in the death of 880,000 Americans a year. The pressure to participate in this is is almost overwhelming. Uh, When I was in medical school, it was so awful. Um, That end of the first, actually, end of the, uh, yeah, I guess it was the beginning of the second year, it was clear to me I had to get out of there. And so the graceful way out was to apply to business school and spend a year in business school, so which, and that's what I did. In business school, the most message that was met with the medical school. In business school, they mm-hmm. have no clue who's going to make the big bucks, so they keep
1: everyone real nice.
0: So, um, whereas in medical school, they feel they can have a lot of control, which they can, over who makes money and who doesn't, because you have to get a license and keep a license, because you want to cut someone's income while you just take the license away. There's that total control, whereas in business school, since running a business is not a licensed affair, there is no control over who might be a meaningful donor. And so then what they do is they treat other improvements. So I went to business school for a year, and it was incredible. It was VIP for a year. But this this is it. Uh, the, the kid commits suicide, and the mother commits suicide. Not only because of loss of the kids, but because of her inability to accept uh, this frustration of her own vision of her of her own dream. And again, again, like I said, in my case, my mother said to me, and I don't think she meant it when like, I and every medical student has these calls home where it's, it's mom, dad, it's not what they told me it was. <laughs> so I had one of those phone calls home. And, mom, and and I gave mom all the evidence, all the evidence. I laid it out, man, you know, they told us this is totally ineffective and just do it anyway. You then you do it, and it's not effective, and people get side effects, and it's really bad. they I got a book about flashbusters and attacks are bad because... What they do doesn't work, but how are we different because what we do doesn't work. And I went on, on, on. And so said, well, you don't have to be a doctor to be a hit with me. I said, wow, thank you, ma'am. And so I promptly left and went to business school. Uh, but a lot of um, parents don't give their kids that leeway. And a lot of peers of doctors don't give them that way. It's just it's, wow, you're a doctor. I think this is so awesome because <laughs> you're a doctor. If cool. you stop being a doctor, then I won't think it's so awesome. And so this makes it difficult for people to get out of something that is actually so awful. And the only way out, of course, is through some. Uh, an example of this is When I was uh, practicing medicine in Syracuse New York, just opened my actually I hadn't opened my medical practice yet. I was in Syracuse because I was finishing up my training at my residence. I picked up the paper one day. And his doctor had been accused of sexually harassing one of his employees. So his employees filed some type of motion or complaint or something. But he didn't complain in court. He complained to the medical board. The medical board decided they are going to take
1: this doctor's license.
0: Well, once it became public, the doctor got a gun and shot himself. Why? Because he did not see any as his, and that's the moving force. And this is the essence of the, of the process of becoming a doctor, is of shutting off all alternatives. And so, many of you have been listening to me for a while and talking about Doctors and, and mothers, not and murdering people. And the question is, how do you be a doctor to stop murdering people? And people have actually suggested um, you know, harming doctors. I'm not sure if you need to go that far, but it might be that communicating to doctors, that if they stopped being doctors, you would still think just as well of them. That's the signal that needs to go out. My other thing. <laughs> Negative and enforcement. It. it works too, is to let doctors know that you know how dangerous they are and that you're not interested in becoming one of their statistics. You'd be shocked, shocked at how well this works. Because although the doctors don't consciously tell themselves, oh, i people, they do know that therapy seems to result in more dead bodies than others. And so, if you have to know that you don't want them to use new therapies with you, but unless they work for other people, then you really reduce your risk like right this. And the issue with, again, with Dr. suicide is now because the landscape has changed, because the loans are bigger, because the interest rates are higher, because the income is not as sure, then going into medicine has become a huge gamble, a huge gamble. And the winning odds, I would say, are even worse than the winning odds are at most casinos. And so you have a doctor uh, who has narrowly focused himself for surrounding himself by people who will only respect him if he is a doctor, if he's licensed, if he practices medicine. And he, in his heart, feels that this activity is very bad and very harmful and not what he wanted to do, what was his intention? Or even in a bit of a trap. And so then you have the doctors who just whip out a gun and blow their brains out. You know, then you have the doctors who are real gamblers, and they just double down. They just double down. Okay, follow them for care. Pile it higher mm-hmm. and deeper. It's just go straight forward. And I'm not quite sure how that works in terms of how it's working out for in person. But that is um, the
1: strategy.
0: Not every doctor can't suicide, but if more people are simply refused to doctors, and if more people... Would accept their personal power as lay healers, their power to be the healer in their life, then that would go a long way toward ending and reducing these uh, murders kind of medicine.
1: And so, this is the crux of the issue. The crux of the issue,
0: doctors commit suicide. When they wake up, when they realize that they've been bamboozled, they've been gypped, they've been deceived, it's not what they thought. And by the time they wake up, it's not, uh, the, the options are not there. Their perception of options is not there. And they kill themselves. So while Uh, the author here, Dr. Uh, Weibel, uh, feels that if we just administer medical education with a of humanity and kindness and we wouldn't have the food side, uh, I definitely disagree. I think it's absolutely totally, totally misguided. So uh, why doctors have... Suicide rates are twice the rate of everyone else. The same reason everyone else commits suicide, they commit. And they commit suicide more often because they have more of this in their life. They had a life where they've compulsively gambled away years of their life and hundreds of thousands of dollars. They've been inco that drugs are the answer to everything. And so more and more doctors are actually themselves on drugs. Uh, and then, of course, we have got job problems. There's a job not what they thought it was and there's no way out. And of course, money problems because the loans are so high and the income is not commensurate with it. And then relationship problems because, there well, there is no relationship. And so,
1: so that is the
0: situation. And this is why only doctors are suicide. And obviously, if, you're, if you think you might commit suicide, the well, last person go see a doctor because what's he going to tell you? No, not oh, That a good idea to me. So well, that's definitely not going uh, you know, to You're better off going and talking to your, a relative or a friend or doctor. So I take questions. And the question the line is 646 200 Oh, or another line is six, four, six four, 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 four. Oh, nine one four three three eight zero six 338 So 914-338-0695. 0695. So let's see. I think we have um, have some questions here on the website. Okay. What about the belief that there's no such thing as too many drugs? Could this be a factor? Absolutely. Um, Many people believe the doctors just drug their patients. But most doctors are very sincere. They're drugs themselves too. And so it's this belief in drugs, drugs, and more drugs. And the same way it kills the patients, it kills the doctors too. Mm. okay, so question how do you protect yourself from shrinks? That'll be psychiatrist. If you've already been hospitalized and are uh, or we're already in the system? That's true. That's a tough one. How do you protect yourself from strength if you've already been hospitalized and are or are already in the system? The, the first place is, of course, you've got to get some religion. And you need to get a religion, and then when people uh, express to you that it's time for you to do something or that your behavior is bizarre, then you explain that according to your religion, this behavior is is okay. That's one thing. The next thing you need to do um, in terms of the shrink piece is you've got to form an alliance with someone else who does not have a shrink history. And uh, that person would interface for you and vouch for you. So um, that is that is the problem, or that that's the the, the solution. So first off, you need to you need to get get yourself some religion. Doesn't matter which one. Pick whatever. Pick a Bible, or the Quran, um, pick a religious book, whatever it is, and find a church. Uh, I won't say church, religious building, or whatever, and That is your only shield, really, is the practice of religion. And then the next step is to form a relationship with an individual who's outside the system, who has a um, clear history, so to speak, and who will vouch for you. And that is the way to um, avoid that. I had a patient in my practice, and she was classified as a and um, she would uh, still sit and trash her mother's home. She's 20-something. She's a really beautiful, nice person. And she was, was on drugs and drugs and drugs and drugs. And finally, what happened was she married a man, and she and this man moved to um, a farm, a remote area, where they basically lived happily ever after. And she got out of the system. So that is the, that, that seems to be the one way to do it, is hooking up with someone who's outside the system and finding a an religion. Okay, we have a question here. Hi, you're on the air. What's your question? Hello? Hello?
1: Hello? Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. I was calling. Um, my name is Brenda. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm calling from South Carolina. And I just had a question about taking the um, turpentine and the sugar. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how that would, um, you know, would that raise up my blood pressure or no? No. Usually it actually lowers the blood pressure. It does? Okay. Wonderful. 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 Okay. Um, you know, I had a heart attack a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, I had taken a little of the turpentine last week. I didn't take the amount that you said. I just took a little bit just to try it. Right. And um, so uh, today I took some and um, I took the amount, the teaspoon, and then the three cubes of sugar. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, with the sugar, would that make you gain weight? 'Cause I was concerned about that too. <laughs> okay, so three
0: sugar cubes. Three sugar cubes is approximately um twenty five uh calories. Actually it's not even exactly
1: Oh, that's calories. all? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. I um I ordered the the vitality pills, um, uh, from you last night on the internet. Oh great. So so I'm waiting for those to come, um, and because uh, I'm, I'm a little bit overweight, I need to lose about 40 pounds, <laughs> so I'm just trying to, um, you know, get myself back healthy, you know. So,
0: yeah, I understand
1: that, yeah. So, it um, sounds
0: like you're making really good progress. Your next step would be um, a discovery session. You can go over to drjenniferdaniels.com. And discovery sessions are free between now and the end of the year, so you could um, click on there, and that will be a chance for us to chat for so you to learn more about oh. your condition. If you, you know, you might want to work. You might want some guidance on uh, reaching those goals you
1: have. Uh, okay, yeah, let me get let me get my pen. I had a pen. I don't know what happened to it just now. It must have fell somewhere. I'll just go to the same
0: site where you bought the vitality capsules, and you'll see discovery session at the top.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. okay, okay. 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 Good. Thank you for coming. Oh, yeah. Sure. You're welcome. You're welcome. Let's see. Go back to that. Okay.
0: We've got some more. We've got some more questions in the chat room. <laughs> Sister's granddaughter has the flu. Her daughter feels bad. She did not vaccinate. Her sister called me today and asked, if I'd call and reassure her. Okay. Well, the CDC has just announced that the flu shot is totally ineffective this season because they picked all the wrong strains to vaccinate against. This is shocking. This is shocking. You know, I was in practice in 1990 to 2000. And every year, every year, the CDC made the same announcement. About this time, actually, in November, December. Oh, my God, we picked the wrong strain. The shot is totally ineffective. You need to get a second shot. Like, huh? If the first shot's not effective because it was made against the wrong strain, then how is getting a second shot going to be effective against the flu? And this is an annual announcement every year, around December just before January. And, of course, if you're a thinking person, if the shot is ineffective, then how is taking two of it going to make it effective, you know? Especially, you know, if you agree with the whole vaccine theory. So uh, the thing to tell your sister is that the flu shot has been declared by the CDC itself to be ineffective. Therefore... Not getting the flu shot cannot possibly be responsible for anyone getting the flu because the shot this year is infected. There we go. Okay, we have some more questions here. Ah. What about oral vitamin K for newborns? Safety concerns and sources. Okay, I'm not familiar with the oral vitamin K. The vitamin K that we've given and is still being given most places these days is the shot. The question to ask is what is the oral vitamin K? If it is aquamephyton, which is a synthetic form, then you can expect that it would have similar side effects. In other words, um, jaundice, connecterous, mental retardation. Okay. We got a slide this little bar up here. Okay. So here's the question. I've been on Wellbutrin for eight years. How do I stop taking it? Even have on a psychiatric drug for that long, eight years. Often, it's very difficult to just stop it um, because what happens is your body actually develops. Um, alternate pathways to cope with having the drug on board. So with with Welbutrin and other drugs, it doesn't matter, you need to change your diet, you need to increase your nutritional status, then you can start tapering the drug. Um, And a lot of times with Increasing your diet and nutritional status, you may be able to go as far as um, getting, off, getting it down to half or one-third or even one-tenth of your initial dose. And then you need some really serious deep, deep cleaning um, to get the rest out. Because these drugs actually accumulate in the body, and that's something people are not told. And um, until you get them out of the body, Um, you have dependency issues and other problems. And so people can go to drjenniferdaniels.com and click on Discovery Session um, to find out more and to get a better understanding. And also, one-on-one conversation with me. Not everyone who applies for a Discovery Session gets one, but if you don't get a Discovery Session, I have other things that I'm developing to help you with your particular uh, stage in your healing journey. Okay, let's see what else we have. Okay, so the people in the chat room, I have a question. Somebody says, I'm wondering if I can take, grind up small willow flour and eat it in capsules, or does it need to be boiled? Um, You can eat it in capsules. It does not need to be boiled. Since your body is 98.6 degrees, most herbs, especially if you have adequate water intake, your body will actually do a nice job of extracting these herbs and getting therapeutic benefits from them. And so small willow flour, you can do it in capsules. The only problem with that is the herb dose is two teaspoons a day, which is basically more or less, Um, 10 grams, which is more or less, 2,500 milligram capsules. So that might be cumbersome. Okay, let's see what else we have. Oh, we have to mention, of course, that um, you're listening to Blake Radio Network. This is Rainbow Fall Healing with Dr. Daniels. And of course, please visit vitalitycastles.com or are for more information.
1: Okay. Let's see. What else?
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, my friend who works with Kaiser told employees they would need to take the flu shot or wear a mask and gloves until February. She decided to take the flu shot. Well, obviously, since we now know that the flu shot is useless, it's ineffective, it's been declared ineffective by the medical um, you know, authority. Compelling people to wear a mask and gloves if they don't get the flu shot is simply an act of intimidation. And again, this is what makes it so tough for doctors and many other healthcare professionals when they're going into what they believe to be a helpful field and they're exposed to nothing but um, intimidation and torture, and then getting the flu shot. Well, that's it for today. The end of our show. Doctor suicide, and we will see you next week. And next week's show title is yet to be announced, but we will be broadcasting from Rio de Janeiro. Yep, we will be broadcasting from Rio. We will see you next.